Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Gordon Ritchie, and I will be your service leader this morning. And joining me is our new minister, Reverend Rosemary Morrison. We do hope that you feel welcome. Now, Reverend Rosemary has just introduced me to the music of Carrie Newcomer. I would encourage you to check out uh, some of her tunes on YouTube. Our prelude is entitled, We Can Do This Hard Thing, is written and performed by Carrie Newcomer. In a place we thought barren, new life 
appears Morning will come whistling some comforting tune for you You can do this hard thing You can do this hard thing It's not easy, I know But I believe that it's so You can do this hard Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, religious, multi-generational community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free thinkers, spiritual questing individuals, join in common support and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. Edmonton has been a gathering place for Indigenous people for thousands of years. The Committee of Indigenous Matriarchs gifted traditional names to the city's naming committee to honor these sacred places in Edmonton and to preserve the history for future generations. For the month of September, we acknowledge the Galahio Ward, which is in the Millwoods area in southeast Edmonton. It is a Mohawk word meaning tall, beautiful forest. And so we acknowledge and respect the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continue to enrich our vibrant community. Now let us prepare our hearts, our minds, for worship. Let us let go, just for a time, of the everyday world. We'll quiet our phones, our devices, and ourselves. And we'll create a space in this hour to simply be together, whether it's in person or online. In the spirit of life and love, we gather. The words for our chalice lighting are Building the Possible by Scott Taylor. And I've asked our lay chaplain, Marilyn Gay, to light our chalice this morning. Scott Taylor writes, May this flame cast its light toward the coming days, reminding us that the future is not simply a place we are going, but a place we are creating. The path of new possibilities will not be found, but made. A new world is waiting to be built. May our time together light the way. Thank you, Marilyn. And as we come together, so shall we sing together. Our opening hymn is number 346, Come Sing a Song with Me. I invite you, as you are willing and able, to rise as we join in song. Uh, those of you online, uh, your text should be coming up. We encourage you to join along with us too. As we sing together, number 346.
Oh, I think I'm on. Making a big noise. So the book that I'm going to read is placed perfectly for the people online. So sorry about that, folks over there. You're not going to see the pictures very well. Daphne, I want to get you someplace where you can see the pictures a little better, though. Do you want to... I don't know where to put you. Daphne, do you want to come and sit here so you can... Nope, not a chance. Okay. <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot, Daphne. That's okay. Yeah. So we'll figure out something. Maybe we'll put the pictures up on the screen. I don't know. But anyways, this book is called Mother Bruce, and it is by Ryan Higgins, and it is one of my favorite books. Marilyn, I heard you ask, are we going to have a story every week? And it's just kind of, sometimes we will, and sometimes we won't. I love reading stories, and I think as adults and as children, we're all young at heart, and we need to be told a story. Bruce was a bear, and he lived all by himself. He was a grump. He did not like rain. He did not like sunny days. And he did not like cute little animals. Can you imagine not liking cute little animals? That would ruin my Facebook feed. Bruce only liked one thing eggs. He collected them from the forest. So here he is with his head in a tree and he says, good morning, Mrs. Sparrow. But Bruce didn't eat eggs raw like other animals. Instead, he cooked them into fancy recipes he found on the internet. <laughs> One day, Bruce came across a recipe for hard-boiled goose eggs drizzled in honey salmon sauce. So, he went to get the ingredients. First, he went and caught a few salmon, and the picture shows him with a shopping cart in the river with some salmon in it. And then he collected honey from a local beehive. He liked to support the local businesses, you see. Last, he went to Mrs. Goose's nest, and he said, are these eggs free-range organic? At home, Bruce prepared the eggs for hard boiling, but the stove fizzled out, so he had to go out and get some more wood. And when Bruce came back, he was met with a very unwelcome surprise. What do you think the surprise is? He had gosling eggs on the stove. Now comes your part. You say, Mama. <laughs> Bruce became the victim of mistaken identity. Bruce wanted hard-boiled eggs, not goslings. He supposed he could settle for goslings on toast. But for some reason, he lost his appetite. The little goslings are sitting on the toast with their cute little eyes looking at him, and they're drizzled with butter. And he couldn't eat them. He lost his appetite. Bruce scooped up the little geese and stomped back to the nest. And he found Mrs. Goose's nest, and she had left a sign, gone south for the winter, see you in spring. He was kind of trying to find out what her return policy was. 
Bruce left the goslings there anyway and went back home. And what do you think happened? They followed him and they said, what's your part? Mama, mama. Bruce was very stern and said things like, go away. And I am not your mother. And I liked you better when you were eggs. And then he got really mad and really frustrated and he let out a big roar. Can everybody let out a big roar? Roar! It didn't work. Goslings always follow their mother, even if she is a he and he is a bear. See, there's little four little goslings following after him. They're all in step. It's very cute, the picture. I'll leave the book on the piano if anybody wants to look at the pictures afterwards. Bruce was stern with him, but he decided to make the best of it. And in the picture, it shows Bruce with a, an inflatable thing around his waist, and he bought them a little paddling pool, and the, the geese are all swimming in the little kiddie pool. It's very cute. It was hard work. Here he is doing art lessons with them, and here he is carrying them, and he's got them in like as if he's got little grenades a grenade thing, you know, and then he tried feeding them, and they all say, blech, ew, yuck, and here they are taking a nap. They do not like his food. Bears and goslings probably eat different things. As the seasons passed, Bruce watched the pesky goslings grow older. They went from annoying baby geese to stubborn teenage geese, and then boring adult geese. Then one afternoon, he saw other goose families flying south. Finally, he'd be rid of those geese. And he could take a long winter nap. Bruce explained migration. But they didn't listen. He even bought them little aviator hats. Didn't work. Bruce needed the geese to leave, so he got creative. He, he made a catapult for them. <laughs> Didn't work. Nothing worked. He bought them little airplanes. I don't know where he goes to the store. I, I have no idea. The geese would not leave Bruce. Sigh. So Bruce decided to pack some bags and take the geese into town. They boarded a bus. and migrated to Florida. Miami, to be exact. Now every winter, Bruce and the geese head south together. They laze about at the beach in tacky shirts, sipping ice-cold lemonade while Bruce dreams of new recipes. Recipes that don't hatch. And you get one more turn. Here's a little turtle imprinting upon one of the geese. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the story. I love that story, and I love reading stories and telling stories. So, yes, we'll be having stories as part of church. I hope that's going to be okay with you. If not, oh well. <laughs> so I invite you to turn in your hymn books to hymn number 301, Touch the Earth, Reach the Sky, and we will sing together that song. And please rise in body 
or in spirit as you are able and willing. Our church community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide for all the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. In addition to supporting this church community, we also make a monthly commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to an outside organization. Some are local, some national, some international. For the month of September, we are sharing our abundance with Camp Firefly. Camp Firefly is a fun, educational, social, and personal leadership retreat for queer and trans youth ages 14 to 24. Now, I found two lovely little quotes from individuals who have gone to the camp, which I would like to share with you today. One says, I'm more confident in who I am, and I don't feel the need to live up to anyone's expectations of gender or sexuality. Another one wrote, Camp Firefly is a lot of fun where I can make new friends, learn new things, to open up on how you're feeling, and that it is a safe place to be. There are offering plates by both of our exit doors. I invite you to make a donation to Camp Firefly at the end of our service. For those of you online, I would encourage you to go to the Camp Firefly website and make a donation. I thank you in advance for your generosity. With our time and our talents and our money, we support the work of the community and the Unitarian Universalist tradition. Please remain seated as we join in singing, From You I Receive. 
we'll get all this sorted out, new sound and uh, audio-visual system installed, and we're just use, start beginning to use it this Sunday. Um, a lot of learning curves. And for our time of meditation, contemplation, reflection, you choose the word you're comfortable with, I invite you to get yourself comfortable. Wiggle around, scratch that itch that's been bugging you and sink into your chair. And feel the chair holding you. Notice your feet on the floor and your back supported. And once again, just lean in. Let the chair, or if you're at home, the couch, the floor, the bed, offer you respite. And now I invite you to turn your attention to your breath. Feel that life-giving air going through your nose and down into your lungs. Notice how it feels as you allow breath to fill you bringing you life, and then as you let it go, letting go of the air of the things you no longer need. I invite you to take five deep breaths, noticing all the changes in your body as you do so. I'm now going to read a poem called Hope. It's by Liesl Mueller. She came to Indiana in 1939 with her family from Germany as political refugees. And I picked this poem before I knew that she was from, in, that she lived in Indiana, which is where I just came from. So it was kind of a coincidence. And I'm going to invite, I'm going to read this poem three times. The first time, kind of just let it wash over you, then we'll have a few seconds of silence. And then maybe notice some of the images in the poem and see if you can go with them. And then the third time, just an opportunity to go deeper with the images and the words. Hope. It hovers in dark, dark corners before the lights are turned on. It shakes sleep from its eyes and drops from mushroom gills. It explodes in the starry heads of dandelions turned sages. It sticks to the wings of green angels that sail from the tops of maples. It sprouts from each occluded eye of the many-eyed potato. It lives in each earthworm segment surviving cruelty. It is the motion that runs the tail of a dog. It is the mouth that, in, that inflates the lungs of the child that has just been born. It is the singular gift we cannot destroy in ourselves, the argument that refutes death, the genius that invents the future, all we know of life and love. 
It is the serum which makes us swear not to betray one another. It is in this poem trying to speak. Hope. It hovers in dark corners before the lights are turned on. It shakes sleep from its eyes and drops from mushroom gills. It explodes in the starry heads of dandelions turned sages. It sticks to the wings of green angels that sail from the tops of maples. It sprouts in each occluded eye of the many-eyed potato. It lives in each earthworm segment surviving cruelty. It is the motion that runs the tail of a dog. It is the mouth that inflates the lungs of the child that has just been born. It is the singular gift we cannot destroy in ourselves, the argument that refutes death, the genius that invents the future. All we know of life and love it is the serum which makes us swear not to betray one another. It is in this poem trying to speak. It hovers in dark corners before the lights are turned on. It shakes sleep from its eyes and drops from mushroom gills. It explodes in the starry heads of dandelions turned sages. It sticks to the wings of green angels that sail from the tops of maples. It sprouts in each occluded eye of the many-eyed potato. It lives in each earthworm segment surviving cruelty. It is the motion that runs the tail of a dog. It is the mouth that inflates the lungs of the child that has just been born. It is the singular gift we cannot destroy in ourselves. The argument that refutes death. The genius that invents the future and all we know of life and love. It is the serum which makes us swear not to betray one another. It is in this poem, trying to speak. And in the same spirit of 
contemplation, meditation. We're going to have an opportunity to light candles. Um, Gordon will give you kind of directions, but to come along, to line up along this side, pick up a taper, light it, and then come in behind the table and light a candle, put it out. But he'll be there to give you directions. So it's a little complex. <laughs> but uh, we'll ask everyone to socially distance as you're lined up. So I invite you now in the spirit of care, of concern, of joy, of gladness, to come and light a candle as you wish.
Well, they turned up the lights. It's going to be harder to sleep through the sermon now. And I don't, I was, when I was talking about the story, I'd be happy to have others read the story too, or tell a story. It doesn't just need to be me. But I do hope that quite often we have, um, I'm a little hot here. Mic's a little high. Is that better? Okay. Okay. Thank you. I could hear my voice coming back at me at, at, at rapid speed. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. I begin with a quote by Reverend Sarah Lawal. Now when I say this line, ask what's possible, not what's wrong, is a mantra. I mean it, I mean that I use it in the truest form that mantras operate in our lives. I repeat it nearly every day, sometimes several times, and I still fall short. Admitting my full humanity, I can dwell in the swirl of what's wrong in the world, in my life, in your lives, in the pain of despair and the weight of bleak pessimism. I can cling to my certainty about how things should go, to my righteousness and to my own resistance to change. I am also really good, like so many of us are, at playing the shame game, shaming myself and blaming myself for all the perceived failures in my life, for not being the best parent, the best spouse, the best minister, the best daughter, the best mother, sister, and friend, or parent, or sibling, for not being the most responsible, organized, gracious, intentional person I can be. Oh, and I am certain everyone else can be those things so much better than I. And perhaps some of you hear your own voice speaking those same words. Perhaps some of you see yourself in the same struggle. Those are precisely the moments when a mantra is a helpful tool we say it aloud again and again, speaking it into truth, hearing ourselves in speech. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. This past week or so, and I will be continuing into the next month or two, I've been in conversation with folks from the congregation. I'm asking three open-ended questions and inviting folks to wax eloquent on the topic. The questions are, where did this congregation come from? How did, what, what happened to get you here? Where do you think the congregation is now? What's going on? Who are the people? What, what are you doing? And what do you think the future holds? for UCE, what's, what's the vision, what's the passion? I'm beginning to get a clearer picture about of who you are, what you've been up to over the past several decades, and what, what might be possible for UCE. These questions contain familiar phrases as they are Paul Gauguin's words put to music by Brian Tate. Where do we come from? What are we? 
Where are we going? If you're anything like me, you're already starting to sing those words in your head. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? When I asked, where do we come from? I've heard personal, locational, theological, ministerial, and financial history. And I'm sure I'm going to hear many more nuances as the months go by. You too will get a chance to answer these questions. So if you haven't been asked yet to meet with me, or are wanting, or are waiting for me to get you on my calendar, please be patient. I can only interview a few of you a week, as I need time to do the rest of my job and to process all you're telling me. Also, my calendar and inbox have gotten the better of me, I'm afraid. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. And so please be patient with me as I learn all the new systems I need to learn. But the star of this, most of the stories that I've been hearing is this building. This is the star of the stories. You have worked hard to make it what it is today, a multi-use, multifunctional, and self-sustaining home for the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. I looked through the photo albums and recognized many of your faces and got a sense of the magnitude of the project. Many of you attending this morning have a lot of sweat equity in this place and are probably some of you that are worked on this building are working this morning as well to put this service on. And I know this physical structure is very important to the UCE community. I commend you for your hard work, for your perseverance over these many years in turning a warehouse into your spiritual home. Of course, I'm also hearing of the important people that made up this congregation, made up and make up this congregation. I see the names of matriarchs and patriarchs on the walls. So many people invested in creating and supporting the mission and vision of UCE, Unitarian Church of Edmonton. I'm going to come back to mission and vision in a minute. The second question I asked was, what are we? In other words, what's going on right now? What does it mean to be part of this congregation? Who are the key players right now? How does being part of this community make your life better? What makes you proud to be in this community? How is UCE living out its mission and vision here in this building in the greater Edmonton area and out into the world? Okay, now I want to talk about mission and vision. First of all, I would like to ask you, who or what do you think is the boss of the Unitarian Church of Edmonton? Who has the ultimate authority of a Unitarian Universalist congregation? Generally, who has, who's the boss of a congregation? Doesn't even need to be this denomination. Any ideas? Marilyn. The, 
Marilyn says the board, and that's true of this congregation, but it is the mission. The mission of the church is the boss of the church. Does anyone here know the mission of UCE? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. And to be honest, I've looked. Can any, is there anyone here that knows the mission of this congregation? I've looked, I've asked, I asked again, I've come up empty. I have found a strategic a vision statement on the strategic plan of 2016. Thank you, Karen, for sending that to me. But the mission is not stated in that document. We're coming up empty. Nobody knows the mission. Okay. Not having, and this is not, uh, open your hearts and minds to what I'm about to say. Take a breath. Not having the mission and vision of the congregation front and center, not clearly visible, not something we can easily refer to, makes knowing what we are and what we are supposed to be doing obscure and hidden. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not unusual. And it doesn't make you bad, or any church bad that isn't got their mission front and center, and you're not alone. Quite the contrary, this makes you inventive, creative, hardworking, and full of integrity. Perhaps many of you have internalized the mission and vision, and you are working toward fulfilling it without even knowing it. The best part about not having the mission and vision visible is that we can now decide if it's right for us to move, what is right for us moving forward. When I find it, if I find it, I'll think about it, and then we'll begin a process to either keep it or change it. And then we can use it to measure up against, as we ask the question at every turn, does this help us fulfill the mission of this congregation? That is the question for every decision ever made in a congregation. Is this helping us fulfill the mission of this congregation? Every question, every budget line, everything. Are we getting closer to our vision? I did find a vision statement. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a congregation openly and honestly searching for spiritual meaning in our lives, learning to understand ourselves and others, connecting to build fair, just, caring communities, and serving each other and our communities near and far. In one of the many how-to-do-church books I've read, and I can't remember which one because my books are all in boxes, I read about the two types of congregations, the two usual types of congregations, mission-focused and minister-focused. A mission-focused congregation is ideal, whereas a minister-focused church usually just burns out the minister. In my last post, the congregation was a minister-focused was minister-focused, and I worked very hard at shifting them away from me towards their idea of what a minister is and toward their mission. I was marginally successful. So my imagery for what the focus of a congregation is, is you think about a bicycle wheel and there's spokes, and that's all the thing. The spokes are all the things that happen in a church, and then there's the hub. And in the hub, 
that drives the church. So when it's a minister-focused church, you can think of the minister kind of rolled up in a little ball with all the spokes stuck to their back. It's not ideal. In this congregation, my initial observation is that you are neither minister or mission-focused, which is unusual, but rather board-focused. While I do not advocate for moving toward becoming a minister-focused organization and congregation, I do encourage you to slowly, 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 slowly move toward becoming a mission-focused congregation. And you ask why. That doesn't mean the board loses its authority, just so you know. From the UUA website, what is a mission and why is it so important? By James Cabal Komoto. One of the characteristics of a vital congregation is being ministry-focused or ministry-centered or mission-centered. A congregation's mission is an answer to the question, why does this congregation exist in the world? As Unitarian Universalist minister Tom Belote says in his chapter, Mission in the Growing Church, Keys to Congregational Vitality, if a religious community is like a large boat traveling across the sea, its mission is like a map of where it wants to go on the journey. Without a mission, the boat is merely adrift, susceptible to the wind, whims of wind and surf, or it is commandeered by whoever is the most opinionated and determined to seize control of the steering wheel. It's not a very good boat analogy because I don't think boats have steering wheels, do they? Maybe they do. Al says they do. Okay, I believe Al. He has a boat. Having a clear mission helps us know that we are en route toward our goals. A clear shared mission is helpful to a congregation in many ways. Congregational leaders are constantly faced with a barrage of decisions and without a clear mission, and I would add a vision to point to, here's where we're going, how can we make those decisions? On what basis will they decide? A clear mission helps congregational leaders know when to say yes and when to say no. A clear shared mission also helps a congregation evaluate how it's doing. Without a mission, how does it know? A clear mission can also motivate members to be generous to a congregation with their time and their money. How are we fulfilling our mission? How can I help us fulfill our mission? Our mission is important. Clear mission can also help newcomers to a congregation decide whether or not they want to join. A clear mission can help reduce conflict. Without a clear shared mission, a congregation will begin to be led by different groups or factions with conflicting purposes and goals. And it goes on and on. That's just a snippet. If you're interested in learning more about mission and vision, just go to uua.org. Type in mission, you'll get a whole ton of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the leader lab, it's called. So feel free to explore more if you choose to. It's a little boring probably for, it'd be good for evening reading if you want to go to sleep. So 
here's me talking now. From my initial observation, I would answer the question, what are we? Like this. Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a strong community comprised of its members and friends that has gone through too much transition. This congregation deeply desires to be there for one another and live into the principles and values of Unitarian Universalism. As I've said, the center or focus of the congregation, in my humble opinion, needs to begin moving from being board or business focused to slowly becoming mission and vision focused. And again, that does not mean the board does not have authority. My suggestion is that we figure out what is working, what we need, and how to get it. So many chances now, so many opportunities right now to kind of take stock. Where are we exactly? And what's working and what's not working? That brings us to where are we going? This is where our prelude comes in. And you can do this hard thing. It has been a difficult two years for this congregation, and since the pandemic started in March of 2020, only harder. There are a lot of people pushing on the plow to keep things going. The board, committees, staff, musicians, and task forces, along with Reverend Audrey Brooks. I wish to thank all of you for your fortitude, dedication, willingness to learn new skills. Two years ago, who knew we'd have to learn all these new skills, learn how to do Zoom, how to share a screen, how to record, broadcast, live stream, and work new audio and visual equipment, but here we are. We all thought we'd be through the worst of it by now, or be finished long ago, but here we are again, needing to be careful needing to mask, we can't visit, not hug, not share food, or have a cup of coffee after church. That's hard for Unitarians. No coffee. Very bad. Folks, this is hard. But we can do this hard thing. We could focus on all the things we've lost. But I would like to suggest we be, begin to take on the mantra, don't ask what's wrong, ask what's possible. If these past 19 months have taught us anything, it's taught us that we are resilient, adaptable, capable, and caring. So when we think about where the congregation is going, let's begin to think about, and do, and about what's possible not what's wrong. There's so much wrong in this world. And if something is wrong here that we can fix, we can turn around and ask ourselves how to do that. And we can do that in a kind and a caring way. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This takes time. And the first order of business for me is to get to know you. For you to get to know me Figure out what makes us tick and all the systems that are in place here. I don't anticipate even beginning to do mission and vision work 
with you until next year, perhaps not even until the next church year. But right now, I want us to begin thinking about that. What could be the mission of this church? Right now, it's time, our time to be asking questions, listening to one another, celebrating this community, and putting one foot in front of the other. There is nothing wrong here. We are not in a hurry. We're in this for the long haul. And as I see it, so many possibilities to choose from. We only need to get through this pandemic the, as best we can. And we're doing it. So remember this. The only thing that's important in life is relationships. So let's nurture those relation, the relationships we have, look after one another, maybe make that phone call, drop a card in the mail, write an email, check in on our, each other. Above all, please take precautions so that you don't get sick. But we're gonna have to be creative about how we stay connected. And above all, I ask, I ask you what's possible, and I'm not going to ask you ever what's wrong. Because nothing is wrong, and the possibilities are absolutely endless. So may it be, and blessed be. And I ask you, how are we going to do this work? Well, love will guide us. It has to be in love. It has to be in caring. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing Love Will Guide Us, hymn number 131. I invite you to stand as you're willing and able. And one thing that I'm learning that Reverend Rosemary likes to rock out hymns. Just saying. <laughs> so I think we can ex uh, anticipate that possibility. Because I think it's happening. Hope you don't mind. Nah, we don't mind. And I expect there'll be more, more swing as we come along too. The words for our Extinguishing the Chalice are by Elizabeth Sell Jones. And I would like Marilyn to come forward to extinguish our chalice. 
Elizabeth writes, we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are all together again. May it be so. Blessed be. I would like to thank everyone that took part in this service. My gratitude to you, to all of you. And there was a lot of people here over the weekend getting this sound system set up, the new, new sound and visual, visual system, and um, it's just going to be great. I'd like to remind you to drop off your collection at the door on your way out. And I wanted to uh, put a shout out about a um, workshop that's being put on the, by the Canadian Unitarian Council. Uh, the deadline to sign up is uh, the last day of this month, September 30th at midnight. If you go to cuc.ca, it'll pop up. It's on their homepage. And so it's a two weekends in uh, one the end of October, one the beginning of no November, October 22nd to 24th, and November 5th to 7th. These are, um, like I said, serving with spirit leadership workshops. I had a look at what they're offering, and it looks great. So if you're at all interested in learning more about Unitarian Universalism, about yourself, about your role as a leader, about deepening your own spirituality or your personal development, I encourage you to have a look and see their offerings. Yeah, like I said, just go to cuc.ca and the information is on their front page. And now I offer you these closing words by Alina Westbrook. Go in hope for the arc of the universe is long and together, we can bend it toward justice. Go in courage, for together we have the strength to confront injustice in our daily lives and in the larger world. And go in love, because a holy and generous love is both the reason and the means and by which we transform our lives. So go in peace, gentle people. And I invite you now to sing carry the flame as we exit, or right before we exit the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. 